the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to the SpotTrack.com podcast. Kevin Sylvester along with Paul Peck and the founder of SpotTrack.com, Mike Gennetti, who is getting as much air as he can get now because he's not going to be able to breathe as more teams get eliminated from the NFL uh, season with all the work that's going to be done there. But we, we do want to talk about something that leads into the NFL, and that is on the heels of the college football championship, which Alabama wins again in dramatic fashion. Uh, over the Georgia Bulldogs, an incredible football game, at least finished to the football game. But we want to we want to talk about college athletes, the money that we just saw in the college football playoff, the bonuses paid to coaches, and about paying college athletes. Which, Paul, uh, as someone who uh, calls college football and basketball, this is something you get asked about and talked about yeah, all true. the time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Be, you know, because again, there's a there's an outside perception, Mike, that people see all this money being made, the coaches making ridiculous amounts of money, buyouts being th- thrown around, cash, and everybody looks at the players going, well, they don't they don't see any of it, they don't get any of it, and and I understand why there is such an outcry at times over it. You know, I think sometimes people don't see the whole picture, which is these kids are getting a free education, which can be upwards of two hundred thousand dollars in value. Um, they're getting an opportunity to train themselves for a professional career. So it's it's not it's not a one way street here. But I can understand how on on the surface it it appears to be unfair. Yeah, I, I, you know, and obviously all those points are made often, and, and this is a discussion that happens you know annually this time of year, really. Uh, the the point that I think needs to be made here, though, is, yeah, we're talking about these co- these coaches' bonuses and, and network deals and things like that for college football that exist in, obviously, other sports as well, professional sports as it is. But there, there's two elements to the, the need for a college player to be paid, you know, per se. Number one is the standard of living, right? So you've got plenty of players who don't go to these Power Five conferences, you know, colleges that essentially, you know, are working off of hundreds of dollars of stipends a, a year to live, you know, car damage, outside uh, living expenses, you know, all of those things, that, that's element number one, right? That's college athlete number one that, that really makes hundreds of dollars, two to $300 for the entire year to live off of. Then you've got college athlete number two, and that's the Power Five Conference, the football basketball player, where, where you're, you're bleeding millions of dollars away from your name as a brand, right? And and that's the element maybe that that most people like to focus on. You see these Alabama players, these Ohio State players, you know, these Penn State players annually hit the Bulls, annually hit these huge markets. You're seeing merchandise, you're seeing all these various things thrown around with players' numbers and names t- attached to it, and that's just money that they're not seeing. That that's money that the university sees, that the that the association sees as a whole that the states see, you know, the individual states that the universities belong to. So I, I think that there's two sides of it. There, there's an actual need for players to, to, to have a better standard of living while they're getting their free education, which, you know, that sounds silly, but there, there is a need for that. And there's, there's athlete number two who is just seeing his or her name be blown out into merchandising and branding and seeing absolutely none of that kickback. And yes, that can happen in the professional league. And many times it does translate, but a lot of times it doesn't as well. The NCAA has been better about increasing things like stipends and food. You know, there was a very famous situation, Connecticut basketball player who complained that he didn't have enough food to eat, which was really erroneous because 
Uh, there's a lot of food available. They get money for that. It depends on how you spend it. You get that stipend, you can spend it on food. You can spend it on uh, on going out to the clubs if you choose to want to as a player. So they're, they're, they they serve food at clubs, by the way, Paul. Just well, like I know, <laughs> but I, you know, I mean, every one of these schools has refueling stations and things like that, and training tables. So so there are opportunities, and the NCAA has reacted to some of that as well. Too. Yeah, and that's recent. That's a that's a three or four year old court decision called the cost of attendance. And I did some 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 nice reading into this. That's that's university by university. I mean, that's there are some universities pumping about fifteen hundred a player. There are some pumping five thousand a player. Right. Well, so. and that and that the, the larger point to Mike is that between a power five and a less than power five, there could be a hundred million dollars difference in athletic budgets. So it, it's it, it all colleges are not equal, and then that thus leads to exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So obviously there have been some steps to to improve the matter in terms of the standard of living for the player. I, I think the angle more more for that we can focus on though is just the idea of the brand, right? The idea that college football, college basketball, they aren't just, you know, they aren't just academic amateur things anymore, right? I mean, these are legitimate businesses. These are powerful marketing, merchandising, you know, organizations. Uh, you know, they've got their own months, you know, in terms yes. of how it works, their holidays at this point. So you know, these major players and, you know, we can talk about how, you know, there's a disparity between, you know, college one and college two in terms of the, the budget. But, you know, it's those it, it's the Yankees discussion in baseball, right? Sure. You know, you're, you need your Ohio States and you need your Alabamas in college football because that's what sells TV. That's what sells advertising. That's what sells merchandise. And then from there, though, Rises where does everyone that money else. go? That's right. Well, see, now I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, at SpotTrack.com, you have the cap systems for all the leagues. So if college football, uh, we'll, we're talking football because we just had the championship, uh, so that's uh, top of mind, and college basketball, those are the two money generators. Don't kid yourself, football is the biggest money generator. Without question. I mean, it's, it's it, incredible. It, bl- it blows basketball out of the water. And basketball makes a lot of dough, um, but college football is king. So we'll talk about college football. If they had a cap system on what the stipends you can give the players, because I still believe there is – um, they could say, well, that education four years is two hundred grand. No, it's worth more than that because you're giving uh, a person um, the tools, the knowledge to go out in the workforce and over a career of a thirty year career, that's going to be worth a couple million bucks. You would think, anyways, uh, perhaps more if they invest it wisely. So, for for anybody to say it's just two hundred grand, that's wrong. Economically, just wrong. It, you're giving them a chance to earn a living and be a, a valued member of society, or train themselves. If you go to Alabama, you are essentially going to try to train yourself for your next career in the NFL. That's part of it as well. Absolutely, too. and players sign a letter. You know, they, they sign on for this stuff. So it's not like they go in, uh, you know, with their eyes closed here. Their eyes are open. There's so much information now, and they know it. And I even think if they could pay, I still think it would work out the way it is where you have, you know, the Alabamas, the Clemsons, you know, these big schools. Uh, they would still get all, you know, the, the top talent. they still be playing for the championship, so they generate all the revenue. But if you had a cap system in, in college sports, whereas, okay, you can only spend X amount on player stipends, I, and I think it matters. I do think they should get stipends. Um, you could spend X amount, but if you go over that amount, then you pay the luxury tax, if you will, which goes into the system for the other schools, uh, you know, like Akron. I'll just uh, came to mind here. Uh, the Akron Zips. So they can bolster their 
stipends to their players to make to have some sort of equity across the board. So a revenue sharing system essentially. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. enough money there. We, Guess what? Right? The Power Fives want no part of it. Well, I will say this. Uh, the, the, the research that I've done here, the Power Fives aren't against this. They're okay. not against this. I'm shocked to hear you so, say that. Some more than others. I mean, you've got, I, I believe Texas A&M is starkly against this. I mean, the, the, in, even so much as that cost of attendance we mentioned, they're one of the lowest in the entire country. They're paying like in the, in the $1,500, $1,600 per, per player on a hu- in a huge conference. So, you know, they're holding their fort in terms of they really don't want anything to do with this. But there, there, there are, there are companies colleges or universities that are conducive to this they i think from what you're saying it's an easier process for them if you think about it right yes because if, if there's a flat rate let's say there's a minimum salary for you know 80 percent of your of your roster in terms of football or basketball and, and then from there you've got an established set of money that you can pump into incentives and bonuses and things like that essentially giving these superstars the ability to earn money based on production or academics or things like that then it's easier, right? You don't have to go into these 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 homes and these families and try to sell them, you know, with a bunch of BS, Correct. which is really what's Correct. been happening. Let's be honest. It's a sum. It's a, yeah. You're right. You don't have to pay people under the table anymore because you're you're going to pay the athlete, uh, and what you're going to pay the athlete is the summer job money. That's right. Right. I mean, because they can't work. This is the thing that, and even rowers or tennis players. Paul, they can't work summer jobs. They have to train, right, to keep that scholarship, right. right? But it doesn't mean they. But it doesn't mean they don't need no. money for living expenses to buy socks. I, I just mean, don't. You know, I don't know whether the top flight, the number one quarterback in the country, who's deciding between Clemson, Ohio State, Texas A and M, and USC, is making that decision because USC is paying him an extra five hundred dollars more than Ohio State. No, I, it's I don't not. know that that has anything to do with it. So it doesn't. But it takes that. It takes all of that out of the equation, right? It, it puts everything on a, on a level playing field, right? USC and UCLA and Alabama and and Oregon and, and all of them, there, there's going to be a set number to start with, right? It's no longer so. But there's always been a reluctance else. to ever to for any of those schools to want to be on a on a level playing field, and that's where I think you're going to run into problems with this. You know, again, you, you, we're in the middle of a of a minor controversy about who's the national champion in football, right? right. UCF completes an undefeated season, and they're putting up a championship banner in their stadium, and people at Alabama are going get get lost, right? You, I, however side you fall on it, it's the, a display of the disparity of what college athletics is, is there are this group of haves, and then there's very few, there's a lot more have-nots than there are haves. And that's where the NCAA has failed to try to make this more level. But remember who runs the NCAA, the college presidents of the power conferences. So, so to your point, I think you're right in saying, I don't think it's going to matter to the SEC or the, or the Big 12 or the Big 10, right? They're still going to get their players. That that's not going to change. They're still going to be powerhouses, right? Are they afraid of parity? Is that what you're saying? Because the NCAA has failed in, in making this a more level playing field in terms of the on-field performance, right? Because there have been teams. We, we see it every year in basketball. These Cinderella stories, right? Yeah, there's no interest in including them in the party in most right. cases. But why do they have to be a Cinderella story, right? What if they're all making twenty five thousand dollars? Right, and and anyone on the team can make an X, X dollars more to get to the final four or the elite eight or whatever it's going to be. Right? What if that? How much more of a conversation piece? Look at I, I can tell you flat out, involving money in anything makes it more interesting. I can tell you that, right? <laughs> sure. I, I mean, I, I put anything on Twitter in terms of a guy's pay, and people are interested. That's just how it works, right? And you're seeing it in all the broadcasts. You're seeing it all over everywhere now, right? People want to know how much is you know somebody's worth or could be worth or is making or. 
you know, that's just, that's just part of it. So adding money to anything is just going to make it more interesting. And if you've got value, market values and things like that for college players and March Madness, you're just tripling your interest level. Well, one of the interesting things that uh, college sports has done um, in the revenue-generating sports, I'll say revenue— uh, Football and basketball. Football and basketball. Um, the coaches are the stars, and they're paid huge money, right? I mean, look at what Nick Saban, uh, over $11 bucks, Over $11 million, and his players don't get paid. They get a stipend. That, that is where the inequity is, and that's where uh, the argument lies in paying the players because you're paying the coach $11 million. Now, I think the university looks at it as it's a marketing fee, essentially. It's, it's also advertising a return do- on investment, Well, I'm too. just saying it's advertising dollars because there's schools on television all the time, the national championship, Alabama. Um, so I, I don't think anybody ever looks at it that way, but I do anyways. You uh, know, when, when their team is on TV all the time on CBS, who pays the rights, and Duke keeps getting there for basketball in the tournament, Krzyzewski's worth the cash. Absolutely. You know what? It always makes me think of, of the, one of the great oddities, which is – does anybody, if I, I mean, I'm sure people know this, but people know Vanderbilt's in the SEC, don't they? Right? I mean, you know, we think of the SEC, you think Alabama and Georgia and LSU and, and Auburn. Vanderbilt's in that conference, too, considered the greatest. The, what's the difference in the kind of generating revenue from Vanderbilt to Alabama? And they're in the same Power Five conference. So I don't know how you solve the disparities um, of salary. I, I know the head coach at Vanderbilt is not making what Nick Saban's making because he's not generating what Nick Saban can generate. How you translate that into paying your players, I think, is a problem that there is no solution to. Is Nick Saban worth $4 million more than every other a coach in the country? Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yes, he is. Just yes. won his sixth national championship. Right. Yeah. Four million more. So why not? Right. So, I mean, it, 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 how do you fault you say, Texas? You think no? It's tough. How do you fault Texas A&M for throwing all that money at Jimbo Fisher <laughs> to revive their program if they think he can be the guy to do it? I, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with paying $10 million for Kevin Sumlin to go away, though. In order to make yeah. that contract happen, the first and that's what's keep in mind. In a lot of cases, the the pro the the colleges don't even pay that money. You're Just right. keep that in mind. You're right. It's boosters, boosters. It's people that that literally will say, "I want this guy out of here, and I'm willing to help you pay to get him out of here." So just keep that in mind. It's not like it's coming out of the college budget in a lot of cases. And and to your point with the cap, I've read a lot about how the boosters could impact that cap. So the boosters could essentially become a part of revenue that impacts how much a cap can rise or fall in terms of how that works for incentives, for bonuses, for things like that. So you could use the popularity and the financial prowess of your university to bring in better players. So Vanderbilt, if they could up their boosters, could eventually get a quarterback. But they don't even have to because they just rake in all this money from riding the coattails of everybody else in the SEC. I mean, Vanderbilt doesn't draw anything in the city of Nashville. I know people that live there that tell me that. But but it you would say, well, why wouldn't they get out of the SEC where they could be more competitive? Because because they're more than content to ride the coattails of everyone else. But wouldn't Kevin's revenue sharing system demote them? Wouldn't that hurt them? Probably because they're in the SEC, right? So they'd have to pay just as much as Alabama would, right? Yes. Now, now, but where does that come from? Does that come from them, or does it come from the SEC, or does it come from the NCAA? No, that's a different question. That's a different. You know, question. if Vanderbilt says we can't, our max athletic budget is seventy-five million, and you want me to compete with Alabama's, who's one hundred and thirty, you got to help me make that gap up. I, you know, I, I want to go, go back to the coaches here real quick. This is a fascinating discussion, by the way, and hope uh, you're, you're enjoying it uh, here at the Spot Trek Podcast, but. When I, you know, I mentioned Nick Saban. You had, you have a problem with him making four million more than any other coach. I don't. I don't know, Paul. I don't. You know, and I look at these coaches' salaries. I'm numb to them. 
I'm I'm numb to them now. Well, when you I'm look more at, troubled when I look at NFL quarterback salaries than I am when looking at college coach salaries. Well, it's it's easy to be numb to them when ESPN just paid seven billion dollars for twelve years of the college football playoff. I mean, that's that's the reality we're living in here. Right, which may turn out to be a mistake uh, with people cutting cords and all that stuff. Yeah, but, but the ratings, I think, even the early ratings huge. for the yeah. Alabama game huge. were huge, and they were for the pre you know the the, the first four, two games too. I, I understand that. I'm just saying I, I'm none, numb to these numbers because I know the coaches get paid, and, and that's it. I guess what would be interesting to, interesting to see is you know the assistants, and I know they pay assistants well at Alabama's big conferences, but other conferences. There's coordinators making over $2 million a year in the right. SEC. Yeah. And there are some head coaches, and many head coaches in college football don't even make a million. Correct. Right, which is yeah. – Right. So you, know, you want to talk about unfair advantage – uh, it's to keep uh, all these great coaches and coordinators on your uh, on your staff. It, you know, I mean, is Nick Nick Saban grinding out X's and O's anymore? No, no. And, and you know what? And you know what? The other interesting development is, and this is this is taken from the NFL. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but Alabama has directors of player personnel, offensive analytics people. They might have twenty coaches, non on the field coaches almost like a front office in the NFL, recruiting coordinators, all that kind of stuff, because they have the ability to pay those guys six-figure salaries, and there's no restriction on how many of them they can hire as long as they don't go over the 10 coaches on the field rule the NCAA has. The amazing thing, the amazing thing, um, you mentioned we were talking about uh, paying coaches to go away, that a booster Right, <laughs> just be able to cut a check, you know, or get three of his buddies, and they'll cut checks to get rid of somebody. Right, that just tells you how much money's in college sports. It's crazy. I mean, it's it's being fueled by Twitter too. Let's be honest here, right? I mean, these these Twitter arguments start after a couple of losses, and things, and that's where the boosters are getting get rid of this their guy. attention from. Right, yep. they're see, they're seeing all this negativity happen about the university, and they want no part of it. And right, you're right. It's just it's just funny money. All right, so we're talking about paying people. So if we talk about paying athletes, you've got an interesting point mike that relates to how does it wind up when they go to the pros because and, and the and i think that the thing you're going to start off with by saying is that some guys may have to take pay cuts yeah it, it, you know it, 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 it may not be a reality but it's a concern for me because the the professional leagues basketball and nfl essentially have done a, such a nice job of kind of weaning themselves into a nice rookie wage scale at this point, right? You've got a set structure for football for four for four years. You've got a nice structure for basketball for at least two years, where these guys come in, they're on a they're on a structured pay level, right? They, they're sort of being limped into the system a little bit. I mean, baseball is ridiculous with their six year system in terms of be, being paid nothing until you can finally hit free agency. But you know, you know, these these bigger sports have done a really nice job of, of sort of saying. This is what we can. We're worth. It's going to slide forward as the cap slides forward, and we'll go from there. If you start paying these Power Five conference players based on, for instance, market value, which is a model that I've seen out there, if you start paying, that's Jay Bealus, right? Jay Bealus, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So if you start paying, you know, you know, the, the the Duke player, what his market value is as a freshman at Duke right now, right? Uh, that that is easily going to be more than what his rookie salary in the NBA is going to be with any team. That's just how the structure of the NBA is right now. So there's a concern to putting the, a value on a player at age you know, 18 and 19 in a system that makes as much money as college football does because there's, the money could easily bleed higher than it would in the rookie wage scale of the NBA and the NFL. So if you begin to have a serious discussion about a cap with incentives and bonuses and brand money and all that stuff in college – you're going to have to look at it from a professional standpoint as well because 
you're not you're not going to want Ohio State players playing college football on on X dollars, then coming into the NFL and taking a pay cut because where's their level of of, of intensity going to be? You know what I mean? Is that going to be something that they're going to be able to deal with for three four years before they can get a big contract? So the the only positive I can see we talked about how you know one of the benefits of of current college system is you get an academic scholarship you get two hundred thousand dollars or something for for college. What a salary cap system in college would do is it would certainly make players stay longer, especially if they're able to play, you know, get, get bonuses for being an upperclassman, bonuses for academic achievements, you know, three, four years down the road. They would stay longer because they're able to make the money, enough money to handle their, their situation as a college football player. But I worry about that the, the line that crosses from college to professional based on the current system. Yeah, and, and one other point, too, uh, about all of this is the money that gets generated by the colleges and the NCAA as a whole fund all of those non-revenue sports. You know, I mean, uh, the volleyballs and the field hockey and all those other sports, that's where a lot of that money comes from. And what I think you would not want to destroy which is funneling all the money into the revenue sports the ones that we all pay the most attention to and having all of these sports dropped all over the country and having less opportunities for athletes who don't play football and basketball well, that, but there's an, students are charged an athletic fee to At schools most schools, correct. Most schools and that's where they derive their budget from not not all. I mean, the, the big-time schools that make a lot of money, let's be honest, the, the, the Big Ten Network money that Ohio State brings in funds oh, their volleyball, sure. hockey, and, uh, and softball teams. I, I think uh, if, they play, if they paid market value, mm-hmm. then I think the student, the athlete, if their market value is higher than their scholarship, they should have to pay for their, their tuition. Well, one of, the, one of the things I've read, and I think I agree with, is there'd be less scholarships. Right, because why, yes. there shouldn't be a need for a scholarship if they're if a player is valued at a certain level. So you could replace this the scholarship because of a paycheck. Yeah, if you're T.J. Barrett yeah. and you're the starting quarterback at Ohio State and your market value is two million bucks, let's say, you should pay your tuition. Yeah. Well, how do you figure out what market value is? And then the other unsaid thing in you all go to spot. You have Mark <laughs> Gennetti do it from right. SpotTrack.com. The other unsaid thing in all this is if you're going to pay the athletes, they're going to become employees now. And then that opens up tax implications, benefit implications. They're going to be employees of the university. They're no longer going to be students exempt from a lot of that stuff. Is that a road that everybody wants to go down? Well, you get to also hire HR administrators for each team, so you just created more jobs too, Paul. So, That's right. and, and pay more taxes in the deficit in the country. So, this is this is a fascinating thing. I think, uh, Mike, you should put up a uh, you're gonna you're gonna put a valuation on every college player. Yeah, yeah come back in 2020. <laughs> there you go. No, it it's a fascinating discussion, and, it, and it's a debate that I think that will continue on here. And we touched on so many points; we could probably go on for three hours, uh, but we will not because we have more things to get to. Today's cap fact. All right, Mike, I know one of your favorite times of the year at SpotTrack.com is the baseball offseason because it always generates a lot of discussion and changes the face of baseball salaries. But what the heck's going on this year? We got nothing. Yeah, it appears that uh, I'm ready for baseball, but the actual teams aren't ready because, uh, you know, training camp starts in about 35 days preseason. And really, outside of maybe a couple of decent names, none of the free agents have signed a contract yet. We've got 39 guys signed on SpotTrack at, at a total of $550 million, which seems ridiculously a lot. But when you break it down, it's you're talking $7.5 million, you know, 
per year for that's these backup players. infielder. Money. Yeah, that's right. That's depth player. So you know, none of the none of the major players have signed. Really, they, they haven't even been rumored even to, to be close Why? to signing. Why do you think? I, I think we finally hit a breaking point. I think we finally hit a point where teams are waiting themselves out and, and they're just letting these prices drop to a, a, a normal rate. You know, uh, we're all going to we're going to see a, a, a flux of signings probably early February when when push comes to shove here. And they're going to be at or below the market values that we, you see on SpotTrack and a couple other places around, around the Internet here. So I, I think teams have finally said we don't need to rush. We don't need to be the first, you know, the first team through the gate with the major signing. And, you know, the numbers are going to drop heavily because of it. So you're saying the hot stove got uh, put out by the bomb cycle? I don't know what they're talking about these days because there's not much. I mean, I mean the I mean, stove is in preheat mode. Yeah, they're, no they're still talking about last up. season, maybe. It's waiting for Trump to put that resurgence in coal, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> no, I'm saying, listen, come on, I just went for the one liner. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. I just I thought it was a good line, Paul. So it stop, was. Stop looking. It at me was. That I'm not looking at you. All right. So what we expect early February. It's, for... it's got to be coming soon, but yeah, I, I expect the numbers to be a lot less than anticipated based on the, the fact that teams just appear to be waiting each other out here. All right, and you can check out the baseball numbers again at SpotTrack.com. Time now for the contract of the week. Our contract of the week is coming out of the Monday Night Football booth, not staying in the Monday Night Football booth. Uh, Mike, it's leaving to go back to the sidelines going, says you can't go home again. John Gruden to the Raiders. Yeah, so you know much has been said about John Gruden's 10-year, $100 million contract with the Oakland Raiders. But uh, I just wanted to take a, a little piece to, to kind of break down the structure, talk a little bit about the numbers in terms of what I've heard. I've had a couple of league sources talk to me about it a little bit just to give me some, some precursor. And, and really what I'm hearing is uh, we, there's, it's been mentioned it's a backloaded deal, and there's a couple of reasons for that. But really what I'm hearing is it's a five-year, $25 million deal. Essentially, so it's it sounds it's, about right. It's that backloaded. Yeah, hmm. we're talking seventy-five million on the on the back half of this thing. So that's a couple of reasons. Number one is obviously the move to Vegas changes the tax structure a lot. So while he's in Oakland for these next two maybe three years, you know he's going to be hit with a thirteen percent income tax. You know, California's the highest, which we've talked about here on the podcast. But moving to Nevada takes you down to zero. So, you know, you know, the chance for him to make more money in 2020 and on is going to be obviously way easier for him. The second reason is, like all NFL contracts, 10 years and 100 million is never going to be 10 years and 100 million. Nope. It's just not how it works, right? I mean, there's a, there's a guaranteed portion. There's about 2% chance he'd actually be coaching yeah. the Raiders 10 years That's from right. now. There's a practical number to this, right? And, and I'm not here to tell you what it is. I don't know how things are going to work out in the next three years for Gruden and the Raiders, but you know, the, the five-year $25 million sounds about right to me. That sounds about a realistic, you know, re- a five million a year is about the right point yeah. for a high-level NFL coach. It's right in the middle, maybe a little higher than the average. I mean, you're talking Belichick's at about seven and a half. A couple of guys are over eight now. So, you know, you're, you're looking at a number that's a lot more tenable when you see the structure of it, and it makes a lot of sense. Look, at if, if, if John Gruden's still a coach six years down the road, something's gone really well for the Raiders, yep. right? I mean, let's be honest. He's, he's got a three-year leash like any other coach most likely here. So if he's coaching at six years and he's making what could be Tell you, know, you why he's got a four-year leash, Mike, because he did something very interesting. He demanded that all of his assistant coaches get four-year contracts, which means two years in Oakland and two years in Vegas. That's longer than most assistant coach contracts in the NFL, and that was predicated by the, the move to Vegas to make sure that the transition has some stability. And I wouldn't be surprised if Gruden, you know, gave up a little bit of money in order to guarantee that his coaches could get paid the way he wants them to. So 
while I'll give you that the four-year structure is very nice, I, I don't buy it. No. <laughs> I, think, I think based on everything we've talked about, any coach can be gone at any, any time here. So, you know, these owners are playing with funny money just like college football. So it really just, you know, a point here to make is it's not $100 million. It's not really 10 years. It's, it's heavily, heavily backloaded. And uh, he's going to have, you know, a chance to make – as little as much as he can in that Raiders uniform. Well, there's got to be a buyout number on it that yeah. doesn't pay the whole thing. You say it's backloaded. Yeah, I, I mean, I, why, why would John Gruden leave the booth that pays him more than it be? I'll on say, the isn't he taking a pay cut? He's from taking where, a pay cut. So he made six and a half million at ESPN these last couple of years. So yeah, essentially over the next couple of years, this five million per year is a pay cut. Um, I, I think there's a there's a, there's certainly a guaranteed point in terms of how how long this is. I wasn't able to lock down that structure in terms of the sources that I was talking to, but. Um, I wouldn't say $100 million is even close to the guaranteed number in terms sure. of how this is No, structured. it wouldn't be. No, no, they're not going to pay him $100 million no matter what. Um, if he coaches 10 years there, which I agree with you, that that's, that's a, a well, unless he Unless he has a Derek Carr-Belichick relationship, uh, Belichick-Brady thing with Derek Carr, which after the season— It's the huh. NFL. No one other than Bill Belichick lasts that long in any one place, so it, it, it won't happen. It's going to be fascinating to see what he does with the Raiders. It should be great. All right. Um, a lot of details with that. It's going to be a busy offseason in the NFL, as Mike mentioned earlier. Uh, baseball will be heating up here in a few weeks after just being ice cold uh, right now there. And fascinating discussion uh, that we're probably going to have once we, we stop recording here to continue on the college uh, sports and paying that leads. All the information at spotrack.com. For Mike Gennetti, Paul Peck, I'm Kevin Sylvester.